Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. This is Jaleesa Arsett, Cricket contributor, author of books, and co-founder of the Ascend Educational Fund, where we give college scholarships to students regardless of their immigration status. You are listening to Cricket Conversations, and this is the second installment of our special series of On the Brink, women who are on the edge of making history. In this episode, I talk to Amanda Wang, who is on the brink of becoming a Nobel Peace Prize winner for her work in ushering laws that protect sexual assault victims at the federal level in the United States and in each and every state. And she's even working with the United Nations to create a global bill of rights for survivors. Just a quick note before we begin. If you are a survivor, first of all, we believe you. I believe you. Secondly, we discuss issues of sexual assault in this episode, so if it could be at all triggering, please keep that in mind as you listen. We hope that by hearing from Amanda, you will be empowered to know that you are not alone and that your voice matters. Um, Amanda, thank you so much for for coming into the studio and and talking to us. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. And excited is like a weird word because it's an important, critical issue. But yeah. I'm excited to hear your initiatives and thank your voice you. and your perspective. So, um, okay, so just to, to start us off, like I really um, believe that so much of social movement begins with a story, mm-hmm. and it begins with a personal story. Mm-hmm. So. Can you tell us how this work is personal to you and why you've put other personal pursuits on hold to work on this issue? Yeah, totally. So, you know, when I started my activism, I went into these politicians' offices and just spit facts, right? (laughs) And literally nobody looked up from their Blackberries. Mm. This is Blackberry time. (laughs) Um, And I realized that if I was able to make a human connection, that would get people to look up from their phones. And so much of, you know, wanting to create change is being able to create empathy. Storytelling is uh, a method of creating empathy. And so it was a difficult decision for me to not only say, you know, here's why logically you should care about this issue, but also I am one of the people that I'm trying to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. Um, That made all the difference. That's great. So just to kind of take us back for people that are not as familiar with the work that you're that you're doing. Can you tell us um, why you started RISE? What what prompted you to start the organization? Totally. So RISE is a legal nonprofit. And what we do is we fight for the civil rights of sexual violence survivors 
by helping people pen their own civil rights into existence. So we help them draft their own bill, uh, then walk them through the legislative process. Um, and to date, we've passed 20 laws unanimously. That's amazing. Thank you. In 20 months um, and for 38.9 million rape survivors. So RISE uh, started from a very personal place for me. I myself am a rape survivor. And, you know, what I studied was national security and astrophysics. Like, this is not something that I thought that I would be doing. Um, but unfortunately, uh, life happened. And I was trying to figure out, well, where do I go from here? What rights do I have? And when I tried to research what my rights were, I found that there was a labyrinth that I had to walk through in the criminal justice system. You know, I cared about these issues before, but I had no idea how broken the system is until I had to actually go through this Kafka-esque labyrinth myself, right? Um, And I remember walking into my local area rape crisis center. There weren't enough seats for us in the waiting room. Hmm. And I thought to myself, oh my God, if this is what everybody else, you know, is going through, um, or rather what I'm going through and I have resources, what is everybody else going through? And I realized at that point I had a choice. I could accept the injustice or rewrite the law. And one of these things is a lot better than the other. Yeah. So I rewrote it. That's amazing. It's amazing that you used your your pain and, and this terrible thing that happened to you um, to change things, not just for yourself, but for other people. One of um, In one of the interviews that, um, that you did, or maybe actually was on your TED Talk, Mm-hmm. Um, where you talked about um, you talked about like what an actual like rape kit entails mm-hmm. and it was something that I to your point about like you care about this issues but until you go through it you have no idea and mm-hmm. I had no idea what a rape kit actually is or how long it takes can mm-hmm. you just um, enlighten us on what that process is is even like like can you just tell us about it totally so um a rape kit examination uh, is both life-saving medical attention and also forensic evidence collection. The crime scene is your body. So most rape kit examinations take from three to seven hours long. Mine was six hours long. Um, and there are no um, standard procedures for rape kits across the country because the resources vary so drastically from not only state to state, but county to county. Um, but again, those two functions, you know, life-saving medical attention, forensic evidence collection, those are integral to uh, what could constitute a rape kit. Um, and, you know, it's um, it, it's a very daunting process in itself. So, you know, when I walked into, you know, the hospital and requested um, a, a rape kit, um, I didn't know how long it would take, right? Mm. And then to have all of the DNA evidence collected from my body and then afterwards not know where it was, um, having a truly difficult time figuring out what standard operating procedures existed for um, for this process and then finding out there were no mm. um, procedures and that on top of that, the evidence could be destroyed within six months um, in Massachusetts before my law passed there um, was devastating. Uh, it was like, you know, there was a hourglass that was set for my justice. And, you know, every single second that passed by was sand slipping through this hourglass of justice. Um, and truly, because of the way that the criminal justice system set up a timeline like this, pushed um, and helped me architect our campaign to be um, 
the way that it is. And by that, I mean, we did not have the political luxury of being a cathartic performance. Mm. Right? Like if I wanted to save my rights, I had to work with unsavory allies. I had to work with people yeah. um, because every second, every day that passed by was a day closer to my evidence being destroyed. Hmm. So, you, you know, I one of the things that you um, that you mentioned was having this sort of timeline right mm-hmm. on on the evidence that could um, that could bring you justice that could bring you some sense of 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 justice um, and that timeline for you in Massachusetts was six months mm-hmm. but I think that there is um, there's a disconnect that I want to kind of connect for people who who are listening which is you have more than six months to bring charges if you so chose to yes but this evidence that could be so critical would be destroyed much sooner than that that's correct so can you kind of walk us through it through that disconnect absolutely so there are double standards that are at play here um in massachusetts where my case is there is a 15-year statute of limitations on rape However, the evidence, the rape kit, could be destroyed in six months. Um, And the other double standard is that uh, convicted rapists have the right to hold on to um, the evidence for the duration of their conviction, Mm -hmm. um, but survivors don't. And then on top of that, no other Class A violent felony um, is treated this way. So murder, for instance, evidence is not destroyed. That's how cold cases are solved. Mm -hmm. So um, the reason why this is a civil rights issue is because um, the survivors of this particular crime of rape are being treated differently by the criminal justice system. Um, and, you know, Massachusetts is only one of um, many, sadly, egregious, um, well, states that are uh, treating survivors in a discriminatory manner. What I mean by that is, now, I passed law in Massachusetts, so no longer um, do survivors have to fight to hold on to their kits for the duration of their statute of limitations. Um, but in other states, before Rise's law passed, um, destroyed rape kits in as short as 30 days. New York was a prime example of that. So a lot of these, uh, again, um, uh, infringement. Um, upon survivor rights don't necessarily fall in blue states or red states. Mm. Um, They happen anywhere and everywhere. And it's because people who have been creating these regulations and or these laws may not have understood um, the issue. Right. So I think that's also an important distinction to um, to just keep in mind that this isn't a Democrat issue, it's not a Republican issue, and it's not a, an issue that is only going to be solved by one party, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in in 2016, the Sexual Assault Survivors Act was passed unanimously through Congress, which is yeah. only one of 23 bills to have ever passed unanimously. Yeah, and I think people are um, you know people are familiar with the dysfunction in Washington. So the fact that that can happen just kind of tells you not only how important this issue is but what an amazing job you did because this is something that you penned this is a law that you penned so can you tell us about what was in the bill uh so let's just start there what was in the bill yeah thank you so much for recognizing that i um i i have some thoughts about the strategies that I want to go into in a second. But to answer your question directly, the Sexual Assault Survivor Bill of Rights, or known as the Survivor Rights Act, 
uh, include very non-controversial things. So um, the right to not have your rape kit be destroyed before the statute of limitations, the right to not have to pay for your rape kit because in some states they still that charge. That is so fucking ridiculous. It is $2,000, up to $2,000. Um, and then if you can't afford it, you have creditors calling your home. Um, the right to have access to your own patient medical records. Now, technically under HIPAA, you're supposed to have these rights, but here's the gray area. HIPAA didn't specifically say, um, HIPAA is Patients' Rights Act, uh, HIPAA didn't specifically say um, in cases of rape and sexual assault, right? Mm. And so the whole point of, um, well, affecting change in the legislative process is to positively codify these civil rights so that there's legal recourse. You know, th- there are many ways to change is impact litigation, et cetera, rulemaking, but um, it's so critical that civil rights uh, are actually codified um, for this reason. Right. Um, another right is the right to ha- um, be notified of what your rights are. It's kind of like a Miranda right situation. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. if somebody gets arrested, they get told what their rights totally. are. So it's kind of insane that I mean, when I was reading through some of the stuff on like what the bill, what the bill was doing for people, mm-hmm. I-, I was sitting there thinking, what the f, f-? Yeah, because right. how is it possible that these things don't already exist? Totally. And at the same time, like so thankful that, you know, people like you exist in the world that are making these things happen. Yeah. So, you know, if politics was all about fact, then like we'd be fine. <laughs> but <laughs> so right. sa- sadly it is not. Um, so, you know, it, it really took um, just an immense amount of, well, negotiating, but also um, making all of these rights um, built upon legal precedents. So all of the things that are in the bill uh, are based off of laws that had already passed in the states um, and had proven success. Um, and that was one of the, you know, we are extraordinarily uh, data centric. Like we measure ourselves based on metric um, and uh, that informed the way that we were able to prove to stakeholders and members of Congress and whomever um, why there would be uh, a return on investment if they, um, you know, made these laws pass them. Yeah. Well, one of one one, the, one of the very first things that you um, that you said was in the bill is is having the right to not to not have your evidence destroyed, mm-hmm. right? And you gave an example of what of what sort of keeping this evidence can do uh, in places like Detroit. Yes. Right? So, can you tell us about what happened in Detroit when they were able to test uh, rape kits that may have otherwise been destroyed? Yeah, there were. Okay, so most rapists or serial rapists and in Detroit being able to have evidence it sounds so basic but I can't believe I'm even saying this that um when you have evidence it helps law enforcement officers be able to do their jobs and investigations Hmm. better and therefore actually find people who are abusers and perpetrators and bring them to justice. And so that happened in Detroit where these kits weren't thrown away. They were processed. And then um, I think it, I, over, it was over a hundred. I was like, uh, I don't remember the number on the top of my head, but um, all of these uh, hits came back that um, there were rapists who were serial rapists and they actually caught these people. 
So the data is irrefutable. Right. Um, you know, treat survivors well, give everyone a fair chance. Um, by the way, holding on to the evidence not only helps the survivor, it also helps the accused because it can exonerate the accused and critically it helps law enforcement officers, detectives be able to do their jobs. Um yeah, keep keep the evidence, and you will find justice. Right, <laughs> and it's it, you're right. You're right because it seems it seems so basic. And I think I, I want to pause for one second and just um, address this right, which is there are so many people out there who don't believe survivors, and that's like the mm-hmm. very ver- the very first like uphill battle that I feel so many survivors totally. have. It's like not being believed. Totally. But then you look at this kind of crap and it's like well no wonder you know sometimes survivors don't come forward right away because they have such an uphill battle to 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 climb and if we i mean just i just want to really drive this point home like just think about this if you had to pay almost two thousand dollars in some cases just to be able to have evidence that would help be believed when you are the victim you might pause a second totally totally um I say this and I still stand by it. The worst thing that happened to me wasn't being raped. It was being betrayed by America's criminal justice system. And I totally don't fault anyone who sees the reality of the system and makes the decision to not report. You know, it is it is a hard route. But what I will say is that so many of us, myself included, just wanted to make sure that no one had to go through what we had to go through and make the system a little bit better. So, um you know, with these laws that are passing across the United States that our risers, that's what we call our organizers, um, are doing, um, you know, we're we're so thrilled that there is change that's coming. Yeah, especially after Me Too, mm-hmm. it, the, mo- the world is in a moment of reckoning and yeah. people know that this is an issue, right? Um, and so uh, I think the the next question is, well, what do we do now? Right. Um, and that's where Rise comes in. Where we're like, pass this bill. We have civil rights. We need to pass right. it. And it will help. It won't solve it all, but it is the first step um, in the right direction. Yeah. Cricket Conversations is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the markets as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners for Cricket Conversations a free stock, like Apple, Ford, or Sprint, to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at cricket.robinhood.com. Career Conversations is brought to you by Drops. When it comes to your laundry detergent, are you overpouring and overpaying? You shouldn't pay extra for unnecessary additives. Drops doesn't either. Drops detergent pods pass on artificial colors and icky chemicals and pass the savings to you. 
With Drops laundry detergent pots, they're one half the cost compared to leading detergent brands and wash plans are less than your monthly Netflix subscription. Whatever you need, Drops has a plan that fits you like your favorite t-shirt. The best part? They're delivered direct to your door in plastic-free, compostable packaging. Save the oceans from plastic pollution and save 30% off of your first Drops order on www.drops.com. It's a win-win. And remember what I told you last time about the oceans and Blue Planet and how you can really help to save the oceans and marine life and coral reefs and our entire planet. And Drops can help do that. So just switch to Drops. Visit drops.com, that's drops.com, to get an extra 30% of your first order of convenient, plastic-free, eco-friendly cleaning. Use code CROOKED at checkouts. Remember, every drops counts. So you you mentioned that you guys have passed uh, 20 laws mm-hmm. in 21 months, so almost one law a month, yeah. uh, which is amazing. Congratulations Thank on that. Thank you. Um, and I just want to kind of explain to our listeners, the Survival Bill of Rights uh, passed uh, in 2016. That's right, the federal one. The federal one. Um, so can you, one, explain to us why why that's not enough, why it's important mm-hmm. to um, pass state at the state level similar totally. laws. And then secondly, um, what are some of the things that you have learned by passing the federal bill and in this 20 states that you are using to help pass more laws like these? Totally. Uh, so most rape cases are adjudicated in state courts, which is why we, even though we passed a federal law, have to pass uh, the Sexual Assault Survivor Bill of Rights uh, state by state. So um, the federal law impacts 25 million rape survivors in the United States. It directly impacts survivors whose cases are tried in federal court. Uh, so survivors of the military, um, you know, survivors uh, in um, Native American territories, um, and that in itself, um, again, those survivors are codified uh, or have rights codified. Um, but uh, because, again, most rape cases are adjudicated in these state courts, um, we have been working on the ground, on the front lines of red states, blue states, um, to talk to uh, legislators about the importance of making sure that survivors have a fair chance in their community and criminal justice system. The thing is that in 2016, when President Obama signed our federal law, we heard from over a million people. People reached out. They said... Yeah, they said, um, this is happening in my own community, too. So how can I be a part of this? Because I need it. Uh, And that's when I realized, you know, we have a real window of opportunity, a real chance to make a difference here. Um, And that's what we've been trying to do ever since. Yeah, that's great. In in some of the states where you guys have passed laws, in which states has it been particularly challenging or difficult? Yeah, it doesn't map out into what one would think. Um, and by that, I mean there are challenges at every single corner. Um, and then there are these like very delightful moments. So we have something in the movement we call a theory of hope state. So um, I created an organizing theory. Um, it's called Hopeonomics. And at the core of it is the idea that uh, hope is a renewable resource and the hope is contagious. So uh, to explain that a little bit, um, it's a combination of game theory and um, or we gamify the process of passing a law and then Mm -hmm. national security theory Um, so applying a lens of 
um, diplomacy to domestic policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, we, uh, before we started, you know, doing this, the theory of hope state means that that state saw what happened on the federal level, took the bill as a model and then passed it on their own and then credited it back to us. Um, so we were able just to see this incredible movement across the United States. So Vermont is one of those states. Um, uh, it was it was incredible. It's a you know blue state house with a at that time an, uh, an R uh, Republican governor, um, and they uh, they took the model and went with it. So much of policy is just proving that you can do something, right? Um, because again, facts don't matter. So um, <laughs> it's like, how do you cut through that political tribalism and then prove that this is something that's worthy for um, not only your morality, quite frankly, but also like um, that it's feasible, politically feasible. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you're like halfway there with uh, with making things happen, at least in the in the U.S. And we'll talk about what you're doing uh, more globally in in a second. Yeah. Um, I think you're absolutely right that right now we are in a moment of reckoning, mm-hmm. and um, and I mean, you've said it for better or for worse. Uh, the attention that has come to um, to these issues uh, has created a moment in time that we can really take advantage of, and that we can really transform the way in which survivors are treated and and the rights that they have. Um, and I want to talk about both the for better and the for worse mm-hmm. of this particular moment. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like one of the worst things that uh, that we've seen recently was the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm watching Dr. Ford be treated the way that she was treated and victimized all over again. I'm wondering for you as a survivor, what was it like to, to witness that moment I think America and the world to a, a large extent is going through uh, mass public trauma together and we saw the most traumatic intimate parts of our lives and our experiences displayed on repeat on these screens um, in a 24-7 news cycle mm-hmm. And for so many people, they saw themselves in Dr. Ford. And so many people saw their abusers in Justice Kavanaugh. Um, and whether or not it was you know, litigated privately or publicly <laughs> um, about the truth of the situation, it was just undeniable that people... Um, saw again themselves and their situations in this um you know at, at that point i i had the um true honor of, of working with this nonprofit called amplifier um and they commission um artists to uh work with them on and uh, getting out activist messages so um i worked with shepherd fairy um shepherd uh, is an incredible artist and he created this portrait um, of imagining what the future of America looks like. Um, it was part of a series called We the Future. Mm-hmm. And um, originally um, that portrait said, We the Future Rise to Rewrite the Law. But given how powerful people had reacted to the portrait um, and what it meant to people, uh, I thought about this for a bit, about what it would mean to literally 
lend a face to survivors. And I then I asked him to change it to We the Future Believe Survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean, the response that we got from that was so um, moving. People posted it across America, projected. In fact, it was just projected the other day for International Women's Day. Um, and people are just trying so hard to make sense of what's going on um, and how we as a society are responding. Right? Because the question isn't, um, do you believe her anymore? It's, does she matter? Right. right? And some people got their answer and that answer wasn't uh, what they wanted. Yeah. Well, I think it also just shows that we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in not just... Um, you're not just changing the conversation and the narrative and how we talk about these things, but that you know it's 2019 and just and just right now um, we're getting some of these rights for for survivors. And mm-hmm. so again, like I just can't I just can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing because it really does take sometimes one person to say enough is enough and go do something about it. Yeah, it's. Um I just want anybody who's listening out there, you know, who is a survivor or has a loved one who's a survivor to know that, you know, we believe you in that you matter. You matter, right? That's why we're doing the work that we're doing um, because uh, it's not only about, you know, believing your trauma. It's about how do we create um, a vision for a better world, um, you know, th- there's a long tradition of people taking their painful living truths and channeling that into justice. And I, I choose to join that tradition by penning my own civil rights t- into existence. But RISE um, is all about training other people to have the tools, hopeonomics, to pen their own civil rights into existence, too. Um, and so if folks want to do that, um, I encourage them to check out our website, you know, risenow.us slash join, um, or if they want to contribute, um, risenow.us slash donate, um, because it is so possible to create change. Um, and you may be feeling hurt or you may be, you know, wanting to do something. Um, you turn on the news and activism fatigue is a real thing. You yeah. see people just um, every day, all the issues, just trying to fix things. And so where do you begin, right? Um, and one thing that we do at Rise is at least give you a roadmap. Um, well, you can start by level one, um, which is uh, simple, and then skill build your way up to passing a law. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Sleep Number. Sleep Number is a lifesaver. When I come home after a long trip, I just want to go to sleep in my super comfortable bed. The new Sleep Number 360 smart bed helps everyone from parents to pro athletes improve their daily performance through proven quality sleep. My Sleep Number setting is 65, my partner's is 30. So many couples disagree on mattress firmness and where to go on vacation and what movie to see. We should just always pick the movie I want to see, Fernando. Sleep Number 360 smart beds let you choose your ideal firmness on each side so it's just right for both of you. The Sleep Number 360 smart beds are so smart, they sense your every move and automatically adjust to you, keeping you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. Sleep Number has been ranked highest in customer satisfaction with mattresses by J.D. Power. 
For 2018 award information, visit jdpower.com. Come in now and save up to $500 on Sleep Number 360 Smart Beds. Maybe we can use those $500 that we save on uh, staying at the place I want to stay at on our next vacation, Fernando. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Visit sleepnumber.com slash to find the one nearest you. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. I watched your E! News uh, <laughs> interview and I was like, oh my God, she's coming to talk to me too. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you were talking about your post, I was like, I thought I recognized you from somewhere. Like, obviously, like, I mean, I know who you are, but um, but yeah, that poster is, is uh, it's so beautiful and oh you're even God. more beautiful in person. Oh, it's thank you. So amazing. Um, but when I was watching your E! News interview, uh, you know, the host uh, kept saying that you're a great example of how women can do it all. You can love fashion and you're wearing a marvelous outfit right now. Oh, thanks. And uh, you can also write laws and you can advocate for justice and become an astronaut as you are uh, working towards. Um, and I love that you are showing the world that women are not just one dimensional, that we don't have to be boxed in. Um, I am wondering, though, if you can tell us about the sacrifices that you've had to make oh, totally. to make it all possible, because I think that um you know while i mean my sort of thinking and this is what i've always said is like you can have it all maybe not at the same time um because you know there are only so many times there are only so many hours in the day and so what are some of those sort of trade-offs or sacrifices that you've had to make uh in order to do the work that you do right now yeah it's really about being creative and leveraging everything into civil rights so I'm, i'm just at this point i'm like um, if I if that thing brings me joy, then I will incorporate it into the work <laughs> that we do because I think joy is so important. I don't believe in martyrdom. Hmm, what I yep. mean by that is a lot of activists are forced to uh, engage in performative trauma, which can be exploitative. In fact, yep. it, it is right. So, um, what I mean by that is um, people who have these horrible stories are asked um, for an audience to perform their trauma, and then they're just put into this suspended cage, um, a glass box and a glass pedestal of people admiring how terrible their life is, and maybe like they feel a little bit better after mm-hmm. listening watching whatever um and what that does is it reduces people and issues into one dimension yep. um at rise one of the uh, first questions we ask new hires is tell me what are your five dreams and it doesn't have to relate to the issue or social justice at all it's just whatever it is that you want and it's because one, I really care about each individual that is a part of the team, um, and I want them to be happy. Um, yep. And two, um, if we can find a way to incorporate whatever it is that they have joy into the work that we do, then awesome. Um, and so, you know, it, it's certainly, um, how do I say this? 
why do men have the ability to be fathers and be CEOs and yeah. play golf? And, and that's fine. And it's a doom in, doom out situation for women, right? So, like, if you're um, a working mom, then you're not mom enough. Or, yep. you know, if you're a stay-at-home mom, then you're not working. And it, it doesn't... Um, it, it's uh, a double standard that I Talk about reject. It. Yep. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't like the rules that the patriarchy has set up, and so I'm not going to play by them. Um, and a lot of people are just confused, right? People are like, what does New York Fashion Week have anything to do with survivor rights? And I'm just like, um, I mean, first of all, there there is, right? Like, <laughs> the clothes that you wear are the things that survivors always get ragged on. Like, so mm. one of the first questions you get by play, what yep. are you wearing? Um, and similarly, at Fashion Week, that's the same question you get, right? And, but such a powerfully different context. One is empowering while the other one is disempowering. But um, besides that, I just like fashion. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I like space and I like all of these other things. And I want people to know that you can be an advocate or an activist without compromising on the rest of your life, right? Because um, that's who we are. We're complex humans. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But to answer your question, compromise, oh boy. Um, th- this is just the reality. As a 20 something year old, um, Asian American female CEO. I often get mistaken um, as the secretary mm-hmm. or as somebody else. Um, and, you know, it, it's something that I often struggle with, which is like, how do I code switch in order to translate what it is that I want to do in my experiences in a palatable way for somebody who doesn't share my life experiences to understand it. Mm. Um, and that's something that it's over the past couple of years, right? Like I um, I still am struggling with. Um, and that struggle includes just the reality of having to work five times as hard to get half as far. Yep. Um, and there's no there's no easy way for it. You know, I, I reached out to other women of color activists because there were times when it just sucked. I remember one of the times I um, testified in the United States Senate. Um, I came in, I was invited. I was the consensus witness between the Republicans and the Democrats um, and uh, walked to the front desk and the front desk refused to believe that I was a witness. Hmm. Um, and we were supposed to meet all of these senators uh, at this antechamber room and um, I was in the waiting room and I watched them escort the other witnesses past me into mm-hmm. that room. And it was only kind when Yeah, and it was only when another staffer recognized me that, you know, they're like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry, we'll she bring just you brought in. your poster and be like, Do you know who this is? Do you know who I am? <laughs> yeah. Well that's the thing, right? Like the burden of explaining yeah. to somebody always falls upon the person who has the marginalized identity and that's where allies come in right to be able to step in and say no let me let me lift that burden a little bit um and explain you know why this person deserves full human dignity yeah (laughs) um but um yeah it's uh I, i was so um disappointed after that happened and i i talked to these mentors of mine who told me something that was um you know, enlightening. They said, Amanda, that is the cost of you being first. Yeah. Right. Um, and just know that that pain that you feel um, is just you clearing away, um, you know, that, that path and um, it will be easier for other people. But 
no matter where you are, no matter if you're an activist or whatever it is, um, you will get to a point where um, if you're you're excellent, um, then you are going to be first um, mm. and it's not going to end. So um, just keep going on. Yeah. Just keep swimming. Yeah. Story. That's what I tell people. Like, just, we just got to keep, we just got to keep pushing forward. Yeah. Um, because it's not... It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the th- some of these things that you're saying are happening to you. I'm probably ten years older than you are, and uh, sadly, like these things happen. Totally. You know, I was just on my book tour, um, and I was doing a school visit, and my face is on the cover of this book. Okay, <laughs> but even then, uh, when I showed up to the school, there were st- I was they were still like. Oh, where is the author? Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh man, yeah. Can you please just look at down at your book and like my face is. Granted, totally. it's a my newest book is like a, a picture of me when I was like in sixth grade, but like it still looks like me. You know, it's still it's still me. And yeah. So it's, it's it's frustrating, and I don't mean to sound discouraging at all. Like in terms of like, oh, you know, ten years later, this shit's still happening. No, no, no. But it's like it is the reality, it is of, reality. of what happens, and and I do hope that you know when we go through those things. Uh, that when we speak up against those things, it does make it easier for the people that come that come after us. And so, if anything, yeah. it makes me feel like, oh man, like we've got a we've got a lot more work to do to make sure that these things don't keep happening to people. Totally. Um, so we still got work to do. Yeah. So I was just saying how you know you can't do it all, but um, I think you've proven me wrong. Like you, <laughs> apparently, you can, and I just need to just incorporate. <laughs> well, the thing is, that I don't think self care is like um, a delineated time set aside from you know it exists on its own, right? I think self care should be embedded yeah. within the work um, and the fabric of whatever it is that you're doing, or else you will burn out. Absolutely. Um, well, that's another yeah. thing I always tell people. Um, you know, I I was like I was formerly undocumented and and um, and so that was kind of like the trauma that I've been asked to relieve a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, tell us about when you were undocumented and how difficult it was and mm-hmm. how painful it was. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, it was painful, but you know what? Like, I still kicked ass. Like, I became a mm-hmm. vice president at Goldman and I did that while I was undocumented. So let me tell you about that. You yeah. know, let me tell you about those things that um, that I was able to do in spite of mm-hmm. that trauma. Um, and the other thing is uh, sort of this idea that when you're an activist, you have to be poor mm-hmm. and thank god thank and you i'm like no actually you know if i'm worried about paying my rent then i can't possibly give a hundred percent of my mind to the work that i'm doing mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. no like you know i do want to get paid when i go speak uh, at places and mm-hmm. when i do things because you're worth who's that. paying my rent yep. you know um so if anybody's listening that is an activist like don't you don't have to be poor and people should be paying you for the things you're doing so uh, you were nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Mm-hmm. How does that even happen? I mean, I'm just like total fangirl moment right now. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm standing next to like someone who could, who's gonna on the brink of making this. This month, we're talking to women who are on the brink of oh, making history, and so you are on the brink of uh, winning a Nobel Peace eh, Prize. Well. <laughs> How did how did that happen? Tell us about it. It's yeah. so exciting. It it really is an honor. Um, and there were um, two members of Congress, a Republican and a Democrat, who decided to um, nominate um, because they really care about this issue um, and make a statement on you know how important this is, especially this moment in time. Um, and you know, honestly, it was like. 
the moment that I found out was like thunder and lightning just ran through me. I think my <laughs> eyes like dilated. Um, I, um, I, I remember just like being speechless, really, um, but also being extraordinarily um, humbled um, by by the work, right? And and grateful to everyone who's been a part of this movement because no one gets to where they are alone. Yeah. Um, and I am so grateful not only for you know my teammates who have. Um, been fighting this fight for years with me, but also to all of the activists before me who have created that pathway for me to be where I am today. And that's what you know we all hope to do, which is create um, more pipelines and pathways so that we can all push for that more perfect union. Yep, yep, that's amazing. Okay, so how can we support you so that you win this Nobel Peace Prize? Like, is there <laughs> anything we can do? Like, can we like send tweets to the committee or <laughs> like a petition? Or how do we make sure that you win? Um, no one tries to actually win it. You know, it, it's um, it's uh, well, you just could be honor. the first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that would be great. Um, no, I, I look the the prize in itself and the and the nomination is an incredible platform. Um, and uh, activists in sexual violence um, field won it last year. Mm. Nadia, Murad, and Dennis. Um, and what we are trying to do is use this platform to beat the drum on the global stage to say that sexual violence is something that needs to be prioritized. Right? Like What we do is um, try to reform legal systems in order for survivors to have just a chance to access justice. Because without justice, uh, you know, justice is a necessary prerequisite to peace, yep. in my opinion. Um, and um, there is, uh, again, um, no peace without being able to uh, to access these these systems um, and peace is not the absence of visible conflict so for us um, just help us get the word out there about um, a universal survivor bill of rights um, so we're fighting in the United Nations uh, right now um, I'll be actually speaking at the UN soon about this we're so excited <laughs> um, but uh, the first ever um, of its kind a uh, general assembly resolution that asks for the dignity of all survivors around the world no matter where you are no matter who you are no matter what background you come from that you deserve to be seen by your government to have full human dignity um, because it is uh, a government's responsibility to take care of its most vulnerable um, and uh, that includes survivors yeah well thank you so much for being here we wish you yeah, of course. all the best thank and, you um, you know just let us know how we can be supportive of all the work that you're doing because thank it truly is so amazing much. you are such an amazing woman thank you for being with us no thank you yeah folks can find us at risenow.us great thank you of course Thank you so much for listening to this Cricket Conversation. I am just 
elated to have heard from Amanda and to have just been in her presence. She has such an amazing energy and I know that she's going to continue to do amazing things. Uh, just as a reminder, this month we are excited to introduce you to four women who are on the brink of making history. Last week we spoke to Maya Rupert, who's the third black woman to run a presidential campaign and if successful would help elect the first Latino POTUS. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that conversation, make sure that you give it a listen. Tell your friends about this special series. Tell your coworkers, tell your family members, and make sure to subscribe to Crooked Conversations. Leave us a rating. And as always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Julissa Arce. Talk to you next week. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.